for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Anthony Slater, who covers the Golden State Warriors for The Athletic, about the Western Conference playoff picture featuring the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. The Warriors locked up the three seed on the final day of the regular season, solidified home court advantage, and they'll take on the Denver Nuggets starting on Saturday at Chase Center. All things we can talk about with Anthony Slater, who joins me next. Today is Wednesday, April 13th. Always fun catching up with Anthony Slater, who covers the Warriors for the Athletic. Warriors playoff matchup is set for Saturday. Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. Anthony, what's going on, man? How are you? What's up? How are you? I'm I'm heading to uh, the first practice of the playoffs for the Warriors. The first of many, actually. They get a long break. Oh, good deal, man. Uh, what's your outlook or your scope on this series uh, from a perspective of a team that uh, the Warriors went 1-3 and three against this year, but Draymond Green did not play in any of those games, and I imagine he's going to be a key part of stopping Nikola Jokic in this series. Yeah, I would say the outlook is, I think, overall, it's a pretty fortunate draw for the Warriors. Uh, you know, no Jamal Murray and no Michael Porter Jr. I know people understand that, but I don't think Maybe they comprehend the scope of that. I mean, those are their second and third best players. They're max guys. Not many teams in the league can overcome losing, you know, their second and third best players for basically an entire season. Uh, there's still an outside chance you could maybe see one of the two. I mean, Denver is playing it a little bit close to the vest, but even if somehow Jamal Murray shows up, it's not, you know, bubble Jamal Murray who was scoring 50 points a night. So, they're facing Nikola Jokic, who's likely to win the MVP out of the sixth seed, and a supporting cast that allows him to win the MVP out of the sixth seed because they're not very good around him. They're horrible when he's off the court. And as I wrote about, I think if Kevon Looney and Draymond Green hold up decently well against Jokic in like more isolation post-up situations, he can't really pick them apart as easily. And I just don't think the others are good enough to win a series. We'll see. Maybe I can be proven wrong. Yeah, officiating is always an interesting part of the the NBA playoffs, and I wonder when it comes to Draymond and Jokic, how much the officials will allow Draymond to play physical, because I think that's a big part of it. If he's allowed to sort of push the limit there and play as physical as he likes, he may get a bit of an advantage there, and that could play to Nikola Jokic's side as well. However, Draymond's not the offensive weapon, at least when it comes to scoring, that Jokic is. Do you you think that's going to be a a thread or a storyline throughout this series? I think Draymond will make it a storyline like minute one, game one. (laughs) to be honest. I mean, I think he's going to be extremely physical early. And, you know, you talk to good defenders in the league, and their belief always is if you're really physical early, the referees get used to that style of play, and then they allow you to do a bit more. Whereas, like, if, you, if you're not playing that physical a style, and then suddenly you try to turn it up in, like, the third quarter, they're like, whoa, what's this? Like, this is a different style of game. That's why the playoffs typically are – you're allowed to be much more physical because, you know, teams generally from – tip-off are playing harder they're uh you know getting into guys more and like Draymond will probably have foul trouble at times in the series he's probably you know what he'll probably get dinged for at least two technicals over the course of the series uh and he'll, <laughs> he'll you know maybe he gets ejected on a particular night but we know he always plays better in the playoffs for several reasons but it's also because I do think referees allow his style of play a bit more in the playoffs yeah, I would tend to agree with you there, and you're right. It's not the playoffs till Draymond catches technicals, and it wouldn't be the NBA Finals if we weren't uh, counting his technical fouls towards a possible suspension, right? In terms of uh, of the Nuggets that play physically, we don't know exactly yet when Steph Curry's going to come back, if that will be Game 1 or Game 2, maybe Game 3, something like that. In terms of how they defend Steph, I sort of look at Austin Rivers as the guy they could throw at him. He doesn't shut Steph down, but I want to think back to, to like when he was on the Rockets and they played them in the playoffs. He does sort of act as a nuisance. He's physical, he's quick, he's quick. 
he'll kind of get in your shorts a bit. You share that uh, that same perspective on Austin Rivers and them throwing him at Steph when Steph makes his debut. His brother-in-law should yeah. be noted. Yeah, that's right. right? Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean Austin Rivers is turned himself into like a you know gritty backup guard in the league that isn't a high efficiency three-point shooter but will get him up and can get hot i think he's sitting at like 34 percent if he gets hot in the series you know he's he's a much better player but also he tries very hard on defense he's like you know somewhat athletic uh but he's also mistake prone foul prone like he's not patrick beverly to me he's not really a stopper he's probably the best denver has to offer monte morris also solid on the defensive end much better than you know will barton for example or even Bones Highland, who's a super skinny rookie that can score, but you can exploit him. So to answer your question, yes, I do think Rivers will get a bulk of that assignment, but I could name 10 guards in the league that I think are better on Steph than him. So I, I don't think that should, you know the Warriors should fear that too much, especially because the Warriors now, more than they've had in a long time, a lineup where they can throw Jordan Poole out there next to Clay and Steph, and I just think there's just more offensive explosion next to step where you can't just have Austin Rivers hound and then swarm with double teams. Because as you saw in the in the Nuggets last matchup with the Warriors, they doubled Steph late and Jordan Poole hit two back breaking threes to beat Denver. That's what Jordan Poole has brought to the lineup. I want to get to, to the closing lineup in just a minute. But before that, in terms of Clay Thompson, does it seem, I know not one game can do it, can bring you out of a funk, and it usually takes more than two or three. You got to get into a rhythm over the course of a few games, and it's tough when you're not playing back to backs and you're taking breaks and trying to get healthy. Does it feel now like Clay is out of that funk? His last three or four games, four of his last six have been really, really good. He's been efficient. Obviously, he had the 41 point game to wrap up the season. Uh, what do you think of Clay right now and where he stands? He physically looks better on a more consistent basis. I felt like early in his return, like, you know, I, and I've said this maybe like once out of every five or six games, you're like, ooh, you know, he's a little bouncy tonight. You know, the jumpers <laughs> look better. He's got his base. Now that feels like one out of every two games almost. And, you know, obviously in this last week, I believe he's had four games uh, over 33 or more points. So it's been like rapid lately. It's like almost every night. To me, he went through the type of injuries where any day, you could wake up and like your just legs are feeling stiff or you know there's soreness in the knee or you know in different parts of your body he's also reaching that age but they you know played it very conservative with with him this year they they didn't bring him back till they knew he was for sure ready in january even though he probably physically could have come back a month before and then they didn't play him on any back-to-backs at all and i think that cautious approach has led to a fresher clay thompson entering the playoffs and his jumper looks better than it has but, you know, to me, the side to watch with him, you know, as the playoffs go on, is on the defensive end. Because if they advance, he's going to have some really tough assignments. Yeah, I'm with you. When you get to the playoffs, that guard play or that wing play is, uh, is going to be essential for Clay, especially on the defensive end. In terms of the, the closing five, obviously rotations get smaller. You start playing veterans a lot of times uh, at the end of games or in bigger moments or bigger minutes in the postseason. Is there a chance Andrew Wiggins, or do you think Andrew Wiggins with a healthy Steph is in your closing five? Depends on the night. And, you know, Steve Kerr's been pretty transparent about that, like more than probably any other Warriors team he's had. Like it's a fluid starting lineup even, I think, game to game within the series, but but definitely a closing lineup. Things can be expended on who's playing well on any particular night. I think Jordan Poole has played himself into a close to solidified spot in the closing lineup, you know, over the last month and a half or so. There's certainly going to be probably nights over the postseason where pool is cold you know you actually just saw him go three at 19 in a game recently maybe if it's like a night like that he's not in it but I think mostly you know him Clay and Steph 
will be in the closing lineup. And then it's just what do the other two look like? Draymond mostly at the five. Sure, there might be nights uh, against Jokic where you want Looney out there, but probably Draymond in the five spot. And then you could go Wiggins and go really small at the four. Iguodala, if it's just one of those nights where Kerr wants to go who he trusts. When they played Utah recently, Otto Porter closed because they really wanted to spread Gobert out, and Gobert was playing drop coverage, and it worked. So to me, there are a ton of options. You know, who knows? Maybe Kaminga is just having one of those explosive nights and plays himself into a, you know, a game four closing lineup. But generally, my guess would be, you know, Iguodala or Wiggins, Green, and then the three guards that I mentioned. Yeah, okay, uh, something to keep an eye on or to monitor throughout the playoffs. Just one more thought from you on, on Steve Kerr before we get out here. Is there a case to be made, or, or let me ask you it this way, where does this season stack up in the jobs that Steve Kerr has done as head coach of the Warriors? Because it's not to say that he didn't have any management to do when he had four Hall of Famers on the floor, but there was a season where they started 24-0 and and go 73-9, and and Steve wasn't even coaching the first part of that season because of the back injury that he had had. In terms of this season, he's got two 19-year-olds that are in a rotation. He's had a 11 minutes with his three best players. How would you, you stack this season up as a, a coaching job for Steve Kerr against some of the other seasons? Well, having the talent of, that was Kevin Durant helped plenty in the X's and O's and on the court department. Like That led to much drama off the court uh, over the years. <laughs> you know, It's part of managing uh, as a coach. But I would say to me, his best was his first because he just completely overhauled the Warriors' offensive system and like unlocked the dynasty, essentially. So to me, like that's when he put in everything that came after, including 24-0. They're 24-0 because of what Steve Kerr built as a system under the Warriors. Now, I think from a game-to-game management standpoint, as you alluded to, like the idea of like integrating these rookies at the front office, interested in getting on the floor as much as possible, dealing with the you know will he, won't he with Wiseman behind the scenes, having veterans in and out of the lineup. I believe they had 30 different starting lineups this season. And to finish with 53 wins, third best record in the league, to have Jordan Poole emerge into a star, to have Jonathan Kaminga get enough developmental minutes where you're pretty sure he's a huge core piece moving forward. It's a really good job by him. It's certainly better than last season where I think he made a bunch of mistakes with Wiseman and with that team that led to them making different changes behind the scenes, including you know hiring a developmental staff. But I would put it among his top three, but I would not put it one because I think his first season is his best season. Always fun catching up, man, and uh, I was thinking about you. I'm happy you get to go to Denver and not uh, out to Minnesota. I think Denver's a little bit better of a trip for the, uh, the first round of the playoffs, man. Uh, enjoy game one this weekend. Enjoy the series, and uh, we'll catch up later, Anthony. Hey, that's true, but this probably lines it up for Memphis instead of Phoenix in the second round, and uh, you know I'm not sure I like that trade. <laughs> All right. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Thanks a lot, man. All right, see you. Great stuff from Anthony Slater. Should be a fun opening series for the Warriors and the Nuggets. And he's right, it does stack up now. If Memphis gets through the first round and the Warriors get through the first round, the Western Conference semifinals will be Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies with the Grizzlies having home court advantage. Had the Warriors dropped down to that four spot, they could have ended up with Phoenix in the second round, which is funny that Phoenix is a probably a better, more ra- well-rounded team, a more dangerous team. However, Memphis has matched up with the Warriors exceptionally well over the last two years, even keeping them out of the, uh, the postseason last year in the overtime play-in tournament win for Memphis at Chase Center. Thank you to Anthony Slater. Thank you to Brian, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll continue the basketball talk on Friday. Our guy Dave DeFore is going to stop by, and we'll whip around the NBA, check out all the great matchups from play-in tournaments to the actual first-round games in both the Western and Eastern Conference. Until then, everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Friday.